Welcome to the We Have Issues podcast, a weekly look at the local issues and matters impacting Independence, Missouri. And now, your hosts, Lori Dean Wiley and Dan Hobart. Good morning, Dan. Morning. So today's topic, I'm not going to lie, it's huge. It's difficult. It's, some would say, impossible. So today, Dan and I, we are going to talk about homelessness. Now, I would like to say we're going to start the conversation about solving it for independence. I would be a fool if I thought there was an easy answer um, or if during a conversation that we could solve it. But I do think that there is a lot of fear, misconceptions, um, just overall. It's fear, a topic. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Yeah. Fear, <laughs> uncertainty, and doubt. I think we brought that up last week. Um, we know that this is a topic that will take many discussions down the road. Lots of people, agencies, services, and resources to solve it. But Dan and I both consider the topic to be paramount to being a Karen caring human being. So let's start the conversation, Dan. So as of January 2020, Missouri had an estimated 6,500 individuals experiencing homelessness. Now we know there are lots more than that. That's the ones they know about. No doubt these numbers have grown, but at the time, these numbers were reported by Continuums of Care to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development the total, 704 or 11%, were family household members. 7% were our veterans. 10% were young adults. And more than 17% are chronically homeless. In our city, 23% of families live below the poverty line. And the ISD has identified hundreds of homeless students that maybe have a roof because they're sleeping on somebody's couch, but they go through that uncertainty and then they go to high school every day. So pretty amazing numbers. Um, it's definitely something that we can see as we drive around our town. There are certain bridges. If you look, you see uh, uh, people living there. Um, maybe off Winter Road, you see panhandling. So we see it, but do we really understand it? Um, so these are just a few of the demographics, but it doesn't come close to painting the true picture or the whole picture of homelessness for independence. Images of a homeless evoke lots of emotions. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. 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 So we know some of it's fear, but the other side of that emotion is this call to serve, you know, people that want to do something about it because they they have an emotional connection to it or reaction. Organizations like CSL are providing much needed food, clothing, crisis housing, um, some education. They really are attacking some of the immediate needs. Others we hear choose to be homeless. They don't want the services. So I think there's a lot of fear from the public because they don't know what homeless are they approaching? The one who wants the help or the one that doesn't? I think there's a, a lot of fear there around that. Um, they don't want mental health, they don't think, if they don't want services. So they just make us afraid. 
But just as the statistic of the homeless students attending our schools, these citizens are in fact homeless and citizens of independence. I'm going to keep our conversation as big picture today, Dan, but in the future, I hope that we can address specifics, find detailed ways to help, and to change how we see and approach those experiencing homelessness. So Dan, I know that homelessness is one of your top three issues as a council member, very personal and yet official list of what you want to help solve. You want to be a leader in it. So why does this topic resonate with you? Um, <clears throat> I used to be embarrassed to tell this story. I've started telling it more uh, in my own struggles with mental health. My father, my natural father, uh, Stephen Bruce Hobart, he, uh, my parents were married, they had me, and he, I don't know when he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but sometime he was. And he got really, really hard to live with. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, yeah, me too. Um, I'm not sorry for me anymore. That's I used, I used fantastic. to feel, I used to feel very sorry for myself, and I don't anymore. And there's some, there's some acceptance of reality that goes with that. Uh, I really, uh, the sorriest part of it for me is that my dad. Uh, had to live with that. It, it's schizophrenia, schizoaffective. The big ones, even not the big ones, it's a nightmare. It's like a curse. Uh, when you can't control your own mind and and you can't figure that out, what in the world? This is tragic. Uh, medication's better now. His life might, might have been much different if he was diagnosed now and had problems now as opposed to in the 1970s, but uh, that's not how it went. So uh, they got separated, divorced. He was homeless uh, on and off over the years um, and died when he was 63. So uh, it was a really hard life, and I am absolutely passionate about doing what I can to try to help people. All right. You know, personal experience does usually make the best advocates for change. Yeah. So I recently had a conversation with a regional administrator about solving homelessness. And my response was that until we separate housing needs from mental health needs, I just think it's too big to solve. So I think about two concentric circles. One big circle that says housing needs, one big circle that says mental health needs. And where they come together is a much smaller portion, and yet that's where we spend most of our funds, all of our time. Um, and that's typically where the current services are focused on. And I, I really believe that that is hampering that bigger picture approach to looking at homelessness and seeing what's missing there, housing, affordable, Etc., and then mental health. Because um, while there's a portion in that group where it's both, we will say, they will say, some will say, I don't want help. I don't want mental resources. But they're not going to not take advantage of if, if there's something that 
will make their life easier or if there's um, a subsidy, something like that. So I really think if we can, as big picture, look at both, but not necessarily just where they come together, um, it would provide a lot more resources for the homelessness population. And it would probably release some funds for the mental health population. Um, so that is just something that we we talked about. And I I don't know that it will solve homelessness, but I believe it, it, it could be a better direction of approaching it. So Dan, I know that you have many ideas swirling around in your head about addressing homelessness. So would you just give a little bit of a you know, tidbit of some of the bullet points of what you would do to address it or what you have done and are doing to address it. I'll get there. Okay. Give me a second. Uh, First, I will say I disagree with something you just said pretty, pretty distinctly. And that's good. That's okay. And that is that we can't solve it. Uh, I'm, First of all, I agree with you. Well, <laughs> let me say, let, I, me, let me back this up. Okay. Let me clarify. And then I'll clarify. There is no solve. <laughs> okay. So that part we agree on. Yes. But the second part is there's no global solution. I would agree with that. It's got to be local. It's, it's, it, well, it's even more granular than that. Amber Bauer, who used to work at CSO. Yep. Most people think she worked on homelessness. She did not. She was in charge of a housing program. All the work she did with homeless was voluntary. There was a, a man that lived outside the gas station on Sterling and 40 Highway. Okay. For almost two years. That's how long it took her to get to know him and have him get ready to be uh, to, to seek out help and do services. Two years, one person. The solve for homelessness is one person at a time. There's a there's a uh, an a genius artist, Car Wu, who had a very successful gallery, had a very successful art career. He gave that all up and started artist helping the homeless. One at a time, he gets people off the street. Get some treated, get some help, get some diagnosed, and get some back with their families. One person at a time. So here's my question for you. Oh, great. Okay. And this is, this is uh, it's pointed. Okay. Christ, you're Christian. You believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Yes. And it's a very, your faith is a very important part of your life. Yes. What would Jesus do if he was walking down 40 Highway and came across a group of homeless people? What would Jesus do? Easy. I know. He'd give them some water. He'd sit down and chat with them. He'd find out why they were there. He'd tell them that there's a better opportunity if they would just trust him and come along with him. If they would allow him to share his wisdom with them and provide what they're lacking. Um... And quite frankly, you're stealing a bit of my thunder because I really do think the faith-based community and independence absolutely has to be much more involved, um, that there is a, a role that they 
in today's world, they've abdicated. Um, and I believe the teaching of the Bible is that we are first charged with taking care of our widows, our poor, our orphans. So today I would call that our homeless. Um, and so um, I'll get back to that a little bit uh, as one of our questions, but yeah, yes. So if we want to, uh, the old bracelet days, when was that, the 90s? Uh, you know, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? You know, um, then I agree. It's, it's look at each person individually. How do you treat them? Um, and I don't. It starts with get to know them. Absolutely. Just like we've talked about many times before, how do you solve a problem? Get to know the person that has it. Because you can't understand someone's issues until you you put yourself in their shoes. I think one of the real problems is that people don't want to put themselves in their shoes. And speaking to our city manager, homelessness is an area that has lots of groups and agencies working on it, individuals like Amber working on it. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of coming together to change it. The reality is that most people think there's not enough funds, etc. But my personal belief is that homelessness is dirty. It's, it's ugly. And yes, it could be scary. And while we care, most people want somebody else to fix it. They're afraid of the homeless. I can't tell you the number of times I was with our former mayor and heard someone come to her to say, can you get rid of the homeless under the bridge? Can you move them on to another city? Can you clean up that area? And we don't fix homelessness by forcing people to move on to another city. Um, I pitched to our city manager, and actually it was an idea from Tom Lesnick, and it was like, I know we've got leftover funds pigeonholed for COVID. Can we use those? And he responded, no. And his reason was because then what do we do next year when we don't have those funds? And what Correct. do we do the year after that when we don't have those funds? And I, I probably like other citizens, didn't think of that, that need for the funding. So um, we have to be able to find other funding sources. And I do think that can help because it has to be ongoing. It has to be something that, to your point, we won't solve to end, we'll solve to uh, lessen or help the next person who ends work up homeless, on. that we're gonna work on it. So what can we do now? What needs done? Who needs to do it? And how do we fund it? Okay, I, can, I will give you a list. Uh, I'm on the board at MARC, the Mid-America Regional Council, and the person you've been talking to is uh, Lauren Palmer. Yep. She has the drive, the will, and the desire to work on this issue. Yep. And we've talked about it many times. So she's going to put together, she's going to get a regional, she's going to try to become the regional hub for homeless resources. Many other places are trying to be the regional hub. There's money in this business, by the way. A lot of people don't realize that. If you can find a homeless person and get them a new driver's license and get them a birth certificate and get them a social security card 
and get them signed up for services and get them signed up for uh, disability and, so, and checks. And all of a sudden, you can make money on these folks. People don't realize that. The, uh, many of the homeless organizations and services are strictly profit generating. Does that mean you're not helping? No. Does it mean you're helping like you could or should? Probably, because you're more interested in the dollars than the person. And again, the only way to solve this is a person. But let me, let me, so let me say this. One, we need a regional hub. Absolutely. Kansas City is the biggest city, along with KCK, that are working on this, that have services, that have uh, city staff, that have the most organizations. So we need a regional hub because everybody else outside of KCK and uh, KCMO needs help. Blue Springs, Lee Summit, Raytown, Grandview, uh, all of us, we all need help. Um, and on the Kansas side, the same is true. Lexa, Shawnee, Leewood, everyone needs help. All the people also are the same. While more people become homeless every day, they, they end up being the same people that roam around the city. That's what happens. So we're dealing with the same people. Second, independence needs a drop-in center. A drop-in center, very simply, is not an overnight shelter. Let me repeat that. It is not a shelter. It is not a shelter. It's a center. Think of it as a house for a homeless person that they only get to use during the day. So it has mailboxes. It has uh, social um, workers. It has, you can set appointments for public defenders, for probation officers, for comprehensive mental health workers, for doctors, eye doctors, dentists. You can provide all those services. It's a place where professionals can come to serve homeless folks. But the one thing they don't have is a mailbox. You put showers in there, you can have a clothing bank, a food bank, but they do not have a mailbox. If you don't have a mailbox, you can't get a check. If you don't have an ID, you can't get a check. If you don't have an ID, you can't go it's sign up for the thing. Yeah. Like this yeah. is the, so the number one thing we could help with is having some central location where folks can not only it helps you develop a relationship with them, it's always easier if people come to you, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, there's a retail reason Walmart is giant because they built the coolest store for the time with had all the stuff, and so everybody came to Walmart. It's the same thing. So we need a drop-in center. After that, that's when it really gets hard because uh, then you're talking about all the wraparound services. Independence has little. Um, Comprehensive Mental Health recently merged. They're big. They have uh, a lot of power now and a lot of money. And they are so interested in independence. The director is going to build a crisis intervention center for mental health issues. On top of that, they're willing to do more. Right, So we need to build them up and work with them, our health department does, in addressing mental health issues. Addiction issues are rampant. We need more addiction uh, Counselors, help. yeah. Counselors and help. Um, 
we need to make sure we have a method to find the folks that are homeless because they literally lost their job or missed one day of pay. Folks that can work, that do work, that hit a really bad patch. And those folks, a lot of times, can get right into housing. Like, they're ready to be in housing. So we need to develop a plan to keep them homeless for as short a time as possible. Um, that's, a, that's a start. That's a great start. It's a really great start, and it's completely doable. So I think uh, people have different views of what homelessness is in their head. So I thought, you know what, for a big picture review on this, let's just define it. So homeless is defined as individuals and families who lack a fixed, regular, and adequate nighttime residence and includes a subset for an individual who is existing um, or, sorry, exiting an institution where he or she resided for 90 days or less and who resided in an emergency shelter. So I hope that you will agree with me that homeless is more largely defined group than the one in our head that we see walking or setting or sleeping uh, around independence. It can be the panhandler in our cities. Um, it could be the, the guy sleeping behind, you know, the business on the square. It also could be the family that Zach Walker found underneath the railroad tracks. So when an individual who happens to be homeless then find themselves breaking the law, what is the process for that individual? And is it different than the family who needed services who was homeless? Typically, yes. Uh, so in general, when somebody's under a bridge, or somebody builds a cabin of sorts under a bridge or in the woods or somewhere else, uh, our uh, IPD outreach workers will go tell them, hey, um, who are you? Nice to meet you. You have to move. I'm not going to tear your stuff down. I'm not going to take your stuff. I'm not going to throw it away. But you have three days to move. You have one week. You have two weeks. But you have to move. You can't. You can stay, but not here. Um. People that are homeless actually do have a house of sorts. It's just on their back. So it doesn't seem, it seems weird to people that they have a pet or it seems weird to people that they have shopping carts. I don't care if the thing in that shopping cart is a 30-year-old busted radio. That possession to them is their tie to being inside, their tie to having a normal life. It is their possession and has to be treated with respect. People do not understand that. I did not understand that for a very long time. So that actually is their home. Mm -hmm. The the updated, uh, possibly more accurate term is houselessness. Yeah, you're right. Um and I, I use them interchangeably, and a lot of people do, but um, that's really the, they're houseless. So that's, maybe independence uh, helps be the leader in that by using that word officially, you know? Ultimately. When we, when we, we address services or we address um, 
things from City Hall. Yes. Maybe we use that term instead. Because I do think, back to my concentric circles about houselessness and mental health, is that it would truly define what does this group help or what are they, what is their cog in the wheel for this houselessness solving, right? Um, Mental health encompasses emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It influences cognition, perception, and behavior. It also determines how an individual handles stress, interpersonal relationships, and decision-making. So with the population of houselessness that is also has a mental illness, that approach would have to be different, and you would have to approach it, I would think, first from the mental health side because there are behaviors that make it very difficult to have the relationships that get you to the solving of the services that they need beyond, um, let's say, like your father, schizophrenia. Um, So one does not have to have a mental health diagnosed to be houseless. The world's richest person, Elon Musk, has been diagnosed with a mental health disorder, and he's not homeless. He has several houses, I'm sure. So it is my assertion that by trying to solve it all as one big thing, it just becomes too big. So I go back to the old adage of how do you forgive the imagery, but how do you eat an elephant? Yeah, that's exactly right. Again, we're back to the one at a time. And I can tell you, people have a tendency that human human brains, it's easy for it's easy for us to eat the elephant if we can say, well, I want the flank steak. I want the tenderloin. I want the T-bone. Well, I like rump roast. Well, let's make a let's make a brisket. You know, they they wanna they wanna look at an elephant and a butcher would say, well here's all the parts. And that's what makes up an elephant. Yeah. Right. So we want to say, well, there's X amount of mental illness. There's X amount of kids. There's X amount of families. Certainly that matters when you're looking for wraparound services. It's, it's a waste of time, in my opinion. Okay. No, looking at the problem from that angle is a waste of time. Well, I have to know how many of this we have before I can do anything. Well, I have to have a global solution before I do anything. Well, I have to know exactly what I'm going to do with this person before I go talk to them. That's fear. Stop. It's one person at a time. It's uncomfortable. It's unusual. It's scary. Some homeless people, just like some house people, are criminals and violent and dangerous. There are real issues with this. So people are right to be apprehensive. You mentioned the fear again. And why do you think so many citizens are afraid of those experiencing houselessness? Because there's people that walk around in looking like a mountain man in the middle of summer in an intersection shouting at the wind. I found this really interesting statement in an article from 42020. Uh, The byline was a young lady named Megan Wells, and I was struck by her writing this. Not only is the life expectancy for someone who is homeless 
20 to 30 years younger than the general population due to harsh living conditions and inability to assess necessities like food, water, and healthcare. But the homeless population also faces another threat. That other threat, humanity. We just don't like the homeless. That's why I asked you about Jesus. We just don't like him. Of course, there are times... Who didn't? Tell me who Jesus didn't like. Um, the Pharisees that stood on the corner praying to be seen. And what did he do to them? He rebuked them. He talked to them. He wanted them to change, but ultimately we have free will. He offered them a different path. Absolutely. And most of them... Did he put them in jail? No. Did he put them on a bus and take them to Cobrove? <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. He dealt with them in the city that they lived, raised their kids, and had a job. Um, and so, you know, we just don't like the homeless we see. It, it causes fear. Um, and I think it's because there's an unsure environment. We see in our head this unsure environment related to every person who may be homeless. Um, we see, or we see danger. And so, once again, I was really awestruck that really humanity is the danger to the homeless. We are also the answer to the homeless. And this is where I really kind of wanted to get into the resources. So I don't know all the resources that are there. And in the future, from the housing side, I'll have our Truman Heritage uh, Habitat Executive Director, Christina, come in. Um, Mark with Lauren Palmer, um, our city. But there, there are lots of great resources. But when I look at independence, we have... There, let me okay, interrupt Okay, go you. ahead. There are some great resources. Okay. Not lots. Okay. There are some great resources, but there are lots. And what I mean by lots is the individuals. The individuals that could be the one-on-ones that have abdicated... Because of, because of um, fear or because of danger or because I don't know how to do that or where do I go on Saturday if I want to help. Um, it's hard. I, I will not say it's easy uh, to serve. But we have an obligation as citizens walking on this earth to serve. And we have an obligation as leaders to provide that opportunity. Absolutely. In a safe and effective method. Effective manner, mm -hmm. yes. And so that's really where, um, this is where I can do a plug for some help. You know, one of my roles, I happen to serve on the board at Habitat, and one of my roles is to really start unifying the faith-based community around this issue um, because there are a lot of great churches, a lot of great individuals of faith in our town, and we're not coming together to really be most effective. And so, you know, that simple, I used it earlier, but we really have been given a charge through Faye to take care of the poor, the widows, the orphans. That's not easy or pretty. Um, and so we rely on agencies. There is a whole church body of believers the church is just people who believe something uh, related to their faith. 
that are not a part of the solution. And so when I say there's lots of resources, we need those individual resources to start holding up their hands saying, what can I do? Where should I go? What does that look like? And do it despite fear. You know, you will be there. Somebody will be there to help train them or to help teach them how to talk to somebody who's been in homelessness. But those resources are not being utilized. And that is the individuals, the individuals of the faith-based community. So um, I use the term calling out. It's not really calling out because I'm not Jesus and that's not my role. But, but it is in suggesting strongly that churches take a look at not just what's within their four walls, but take a look at what they can do in their community. Because quite frankly, I really feel strongly that independence could and should be the better light example of what's going on to help support the mental health needs and the housing needs of those in that homelessness population. So homelessness is a huge issue in independence. Like you, Dan, I know a lot of the players in the arena CSL, they provide crisis services. Salvation Army has a family crisis shelter, but they don't serve single men. Um, Local agencies provide showers, a place to wash your clothes. Comprehensive Mental Health provides resources that can provide crisis housing. But oftentimes, the only opening is out of town, like Warrensburg or or something like that. Um, I know a lot of volunteers who give of their time, talent, and tithe. But as I look at these services, this help, I will, I will say that most are about fixing the crisis and then the temporary. And we can't, without a lot more help, without more individuals, without figuring out ways to pay for things, uh, without that drop-in center that you have a vision for, we can't seem to get out of the crisis mode of it. And I think that's also part of what needs to be addressed is is we've got the crisis piece, but how do we move beyond that to these others who don't have mental illness that need help for housing or that have a drug problem that's keeping them from housing? So that's kind of where I think we're stuck. It's kind of in the crisis mode when in order to really set up the people who are homeless for success, we've got to reach beyond that crisis mode. I, lo- I love scary movies. Okay. <laughs> and what I've, what my experience is, the scariest movies are when you don't see the bad guy. And the minute you do, the second you do, even if it's the very last scene of the movie, you're like, oh, well, I could probably fight that. It takes the edge off when you know what you're doing. When you know what the enemy is, when you know what you're fighting, it takes the edge off. Because there's some acknowledgement, there's some understanding, there's there's um, a, a peacefulness that know that, that comes as a human in the experience with knowing something about what you're dealing with. And that's the rate that's the knife's edge that we're living on right now. It's really stressful for folks to drive around town to to I have many, many people where homeless people uh, do steal things from their yard or try to go in their garage or their house or 
And that's not okay. And, and it's okay to be scared and have your feelings. Absolutely. Uh, but in order to get past that, in order to start working on these problems, um, we, we've got to we've got to come together for an understanding. They've got to see the monster and understand that people do. They really do. So see the monster. So just a bullet point, some of the things that we talked about in a big picture. And I know that you and I both have a desire to keep the conversation going in future podcasts. Um, but it, not just talking, actually some action. Yeah. So today I, you know, I, I'd like to give some practical application of of what people can be thinking, changes they can make in their own uh, heart, um, or maybe just an agency they can start phoning to go meet with, you know, see if they can volunteer. One of those would be city officials' attitudes towards the homeless. We know that not all of your fellow council members care about the homeless. Citizens' attitudes towards the homeless, so don't be afraid. Um, maybe find a way to join in and be a part of the solution. The uh, find more dollars, so we can have that drop-in center and have more um, services. Help from the faith-based community, absolutely needed. And then really putting the agencies that are doing great things at the forefront have them be, you know, have others learn from them, like CSL, you know, like Truman Heritage Habitat, um, like Mark, you know, and have them... Greater Kansas City Foundation for Helping the Homeless. Yeah, just really be, to your point, I think you used the term hub. Find a hub and have these experts that do it every day teach the next and teach the next and teach the next. And I just think that if we just all individually find a way to help... We're going to be able to move through this and uh, help not just the crisis, those in crisis, but those beyond the crisis. So what's next after you find a temporary home and then you get a job? It's to find a home. It's to find a place you can afford. And I would say that's, for me, that's one of the really uh, big needs is we don't have a lot of affordable quality housing we have a lot of rentals. Some are more expensive than others. Some are in better shape than others. Um, but we really need some people to come up with great ideas for housing that currently don't exist. We have to build housing. That's the bottom line. There's there's no discussion about that. And I'm glad you mentioned, uh, you, you, you brought up an idea in my head. People often say, get a job. They see a homeless person, get a job. Yeah. So... <laughs> For those folks, and and I've everybody said it. Whenever you think that, uh, try this. Think about how hard your job is, how hard it is to get up every day and go do the job, and you've done that for thirty years, and it's really hard. It's hard on your body. It's hard on your mind. It's hard on your family. It's hard on everybody. Now, go live outside in your backyard. Do it for a week but also go to work every day. Think about that when you see somebody and say, get a job. It, in, in the realm of homeless and houseless, in that realm of the world, it is very much a priority to get housing now. 
the job, the treatment, the long-term stuff happens while you're in a house. That's safety, it's security, it's comfort, it's confidence. So there's there's that's a that's a thing not a lot of people know about or would would think about like that. House comes first. I think that's where a hub can be really yes helpful. Yes, not just to those that find themselves without a house, but to those that are wanting to now be a part of the solution and volunteer because absolutely they have that wisdom. Absolutely. Um, so obviously a topic for. Many more discussions, Dan, uh, but I truly wanted to challenge those listening and those agencies wanting to be a part of the solution to digest kind of this opening discussion on what I now will say houselessness. And what we've shared today, you know, is something that truly comes from a place of wanting to help solve it, not just talk about it. Um, so. I'm going to invite people to come to the table with you, Dan. Uh, you know, currently, this is in your top three priorities. You are somebody who has the opportunity as an elected official to be a leader. Uh, we have the other agencies that I've listed, uh, listed like Truman Heritage Habitat for Housing, Comprehensive Mental Health for Mental Health, CSL for Crisis Intervention, and then, quite frankly, from a hub standpoint, MARC, Mid-America Regional Council. And so I... I think you are that de facto leader to bring all these groups together, these agencies together, to then really have a more, I'll steal their word, comprehensive plan of of doing this, you know? And so I look forward to lots of different conversations, but um, as somebody who is, is a leader in this and wants to be even more of a leader in this, that I think there'll be an opportunity for people to come join you for conversations, uh, probably committee meetings, probably some training. So more info to come on that. But I really look forward to where where independence specifically can take this. But we know this is an is going to be an effort that involves all of our surrounding cities. Absolutely. Any last words? I'm really glad we had this conversation because I came up with uh, yet another brilliant idea that I can't <laughs> share or it might not come true. But uh, seriously, though, I did come up with a, a, a decent idea that to help involve Mark. Every Conversations are important. Absolutely. They have to turn into action. I, I'm, I'm as guilty of that as anybody and everybody. So we all have to come together, like you've said. And do the thing. Let's help people. Let's help people. Let's help people. They're people. Let's help them. You know, I think that's a great uh, campaign slogan down the road. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one thing at a time. Uh, all right. Well, thanks again for joining us for uh, our podcast on, I'm going to change it to houselessness. I'm Laurie Dean Wiley. I'm Dan Hobart. And we have issues. Thanks for listening. We want to thank you for joining us. I'm Laurie Dean Wiley. And I'm Dan Hobart. Join us again next week because we have issues.